welcome to Get Divorced Without Getting Screwed, a podcast for men who are thinking about divorce in the middle of one now or are recovering from this horrible process. You will get advice from experts and hear inspirational stories of men just like you who have survived divorce. Now, let's get to work. My name is John Nocklinger, the men's divorce coach and mentor. I'm a recovering divorce attorney and the founder of Divorce Shield, the only company exclusively devoted to helping men navigate divorce. Today, we have a very special guest, Carrie Zachman. What's special about Carrie is he's not an expert other than he went through his own divorce. So he's here to tell us what it was like going through the divorce process, what led him to divorce, and how he's doing now. And I will tell you, if he gloats about how wonderful his divorce attorney was, <laughs> I didn't pay him, but it was me. So I'm so excited to have you here today, Carrie. Thank you much, so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. Oh, I'm really excited to talk to you. So many people that watch this program really enjoy hearing from real guys that have been through divorce and hearing their stories. It gives gives people a lot of, to hope for and to re recognize that it's all going to be okay. So why don't we start with you and let's take me back. When were you married? So uh, I was married in 1993. And I was divorced in 2015 uh, with a separation at 2005. So obviously a long window of separation before divorce. All right. We're going to get into that. So you were married for, before you separated, my math is right, about, is that 12 years? 12 years. Yeah, 12 years. So do you have any children? I do. I have, I have two sons uh, in their mid-20s. And uh, yeah, yeah. So obviously that was in the earlier parts of our marriage based on those dates. And, uh, you know, part of my story, in, and it's not drastically different. I think we all have different reasons for divorce. For me, it was uh, a realization about who I am sexually, who I'm attracted to. So um, we had um, a, a very strenuous uh initial separation and, and and I would say even ultimately divorce. Um, a lot of that's because of that realization happened to me and kind of changing the status of where we were, um, uh, you know, around that 2005 date. Wow. There's a lot to unpack in what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. You got separated in 2005. Um, did you leave? Did she leave? How did the separation occur? So, uh, and I can get into my backstory, but I was at a stage just the last portion. So 2003, I think I started to experiment externally, you know, and identifying who I was sexually. Um, and in the process, I had fallen in love with somebody and I wasn't expecting that. And I was really struggling with that process. Um, so I was on a surf lesson and she was with me. She was in the car. A text message came through from this person I had fallen in love with and and she challenged me on it. And I think I was at a stage where I wasn't quite ready to come to her, uh, maybe not even fully to myself, but I was at a stage where I knew, you know, whether this was the right person or not, I wasn't sure, but I, I was definitely a gay man. That wasn't going to change. So um, 
then at that stage, we did mediation. We, we, we sought counsel um, for ourselves, for our children as we were going through that process. But I fairly immediately moved out of the house, I'd say within months of that happening. Um, so, yeah. How old were your children when that happened? I think they were nine and 10 at the time. Um, it might even been a little younger, but I remember the harder conversations happening when they were nine and 10. You know, I think in in the situation of divorce, you, you reach out for expertise in a lot of ways. Uh, for us, we thought we'd go the mediation route. We reached out to a mediator. They did help us with the separation agreement, which was very helpful with spending time with the kids, identifying who was paying for what and that kind of stuff. Um, and then it was a counselor for us as a couple. It was a counselor for each of us as individuals struggling with new stuff. You know, me, me realizing who I was and, and her going through her own uh, separation and ultimately divorce. And then so too for the kids. So we had, you know, like a group of eight people all working to try and move things through the process at that time. Um, I, I think it was, you know, I think the question was, how was it on the kids? I think it was very, very difficult for the kids because we went from what seemed like everything was going well to dad's not in the house anymore. And the counsel we was we were getting at the time really said, look, based on their age, maybe you don't want to tell them the reasoning. In hindsight, I don't think that was good advice, but it was what we had. It's what we did. And so I think it was just wrapped with a lot of mystery for them. You know, how do we go from this happy button down family to dad isn't here and I'm not sure when he's coming back, you know, other than seeing each other every other weekends and during the week. I want to get into when they found out in a minute, but no matter, I mean, this is your story. It's, it's, uh, it's not terribly unique um, in terms of there's a lot of men that have had this, had this situation that have occurred. So, you know, but I think for everyone listening, it could be anything. I mean, for you, it was realizing that you were a gay man, but it could just be falling in love with somebody else. It could be any number of things. What was going on in your marriage around the late 90s, early 2000s, aside from your realization of your sexuality? What, what, what else was going on in the marriage? Were there other signs that it just was not working anymore? I, I think the irony is, and, and again, to your point, others may have a similar journey. Um, everything was going well, right? Um, we both had professional jobs. She, We had nannies that were kind of falling through and not, not working. So she stopped working, started taking care of the kids full time. My career started to take off even more so kids were content. I, I guess my net as this was that everything seemed to be going so well that for me, it became, okay, what am I missing? What's the thing that's not, why am I not as happy as I should be in that process? And I had certainly had, you know, an eye and a wink in the past and not acted on that, but I got to this stage where I, I did act on it. And I think it was because I felt like something was missing. Uh, so yeah, irony is everything was going really well. How did your ex-wife take it whenever you gave her the news? Well, I can show you the scar if that would help. <laughs> no. Um, this is the other piece that's tough, right? So she saw the text. I didn't share her share the news. She saw the news. And I think what was most difficult is that she felt like we were so close, but I wasn't at a point where I could share that with her. And and that took me a long time. That took me probably two years before, after talking to all of my family members and my close friends and work comrades, 
it took me about two years to get comfortable with the fact that I think it was just a little shy of me getting to that point where I would have said, hey, look, this isn't working. I, this is who I am. And, but I didn't do that, right? It didn't happen that way. Um, so I think it was a big wedge for she and I, and I think she's always had a hard time getting over that. And, and it was tough for me. I think it blends itself into why it was so long before we ultimately, ultimately got divorced is, you know, there's a lot of guilt. And I think that was a big part of it for me is that, you know, she discovered it. I didn't talk to her about it. Well, I can certainly attest to how upset she still was at you, even when you got divorced. I, I recall distinctly, she uh, left a lot of negative reviews on all of my firm's social media pages. Yeah, there you go. So you she, she couldn't, and that was after you were divorced. So she, she definitely couldn't, did not get rid of her her hurt and anger and you know that's that happens right but you were separated in 2005 you get, didn't get divorced for almost 10 years right um, during that time period what i mean you just said a little bit about you had some guilt right. but what was really holding you back from getting divorced was it some did you think that maybe you weren't really a gay man and you were just kind of holding on or, or was it just because of your children and, and uh, the guilt you had for your wife? Uh, it was definitely more guilt than a sense of reconciliation, right? I, I was comfortable with the fact that uh, this is who I am and I'm, I, I, I can't live in that life acting as if I'm something different. Right. And so, so that part I think was, was pretty clear. I think the early part was, guilt um again mediation which was you know and i'm a fan i think it can work i just think that in this environment both parties have to be invested in trying to find an outcome and i think i may not have been i may have felt like i don't know what that initial reasoning was but we we just didn't advance for the first couple of years and then it starts to take on a life of its own you know pat started my ex started to get some counsel on the outside. And I think it became more clear that the longer that that went, the better it might work for her. So then it, it, it starts to take on a life of its, of its own. So, and, and, and I might add into that, that I'm not a big proponent of that in hindsight. I think it left all of us in a stage of limbo. Uh, I think I may have thought I was doing things for the family, right? I was still providing, still paying for the services, um, still in, engaged in some things you know those first couple of christmases i'd spent time at the house it was but it was it was um, i wouldn't say charade because that's not fair it was it just left everybody in this kind of question mark of what's actually going to happen next and in in hindsight i think we all lost an opportunity to kind of move forward hindsight 2020 but that's one of the things i'd say about that long you know extended separation without some definitive next step is 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 not healthy well, you don't know this, Carrie, and I never use your name, but I've used your example of your extended separation and the tangible effects it had during the divorce process uh, in conversations with many men and many other clients at the, um, the need for once you've decided that your marriage is over, whatever that means, and you've separated, that is best just to go ahead and get divorced. That separation has all kinds of pitfalls that can occur while you're separated. 
And one of them, particularly depending on which state you live in, but one of them, you know, you saw firsthand that sometimes, you know, doesn't really matter whether your head is sleeping on a bed at the house or not. It, at some point, it's really just about money. So, you know, I, I understand you went through a lot of people have a hard time just making the decision to separate and to get right. divorced. And it's sort of like you took one step in the door and just stood in the door for like eight or nine years and then finally went through. And I think if anyone listening to this, really, it should be instructive to you that if you, the marriage is over. And with you, it was over because you realized not only did you not love your ex-wife, you didn't, you know, you didn't want to be with a woman. So definitely your marriage was over. Yeah. Um, so it's really, that's really important. So you have your kids who were, I think you said nine and 10 when you separated. When did they find out of the reasons why mom and dad were getting divorced? So, so again, we had outside counsel for the kids and the thought was they were, Maybe if they were younger and prior to puberty, it would be an easier message. Maybe if they were older and had already gone through it, it would be an easier message. But we lived in a small conservative town. The therapist happened to live there too. Didn't have any insight of any other openly gay uh, families there. So, you know, it was the suggestion that not to say anything to the kids. And I'd like to think in my head, I said, and if I didn't, I knew where I stood is if they had asked me, I would have told them outright why I wasn't there, but they weren't pushing for that. They just didn't know, right? So it was this whole limbo. And and then unfortunately, I think I was, uh, it was a little too much wine. And, you know, the, my ex said, hey, your dad's gay and he's never coming home. So that was a rough message for them, but it was, you know, just ripped the bandaid off as far as that. So, and they were quite upset, you know? Um, the irony is we went to, we had a meeting with our therapist the next day and also the children's therapist. And he's talking about, well, you know, how to control the message and maybe interesting to see who they talk to and don't talk to. And of course the kids went right to school and just told all their friends, Hey, my dad's gay. So I think for them, it was difficult just in that all of that rolled down onto them without any kind of support. Um, and what's amazing, and, and I'll do a little sidebar here, is how much has changed since then, right? These guys are now in their mid-20s, so you give it 15 years. I think that their co their friends are so much more comfortable around, you know, people who are lesbian or gay. They have seemed to have no big hang-ups on that. And it's awesome. It's really awesome to see. Um, and I think that's why in hindsight, it was probably not the right news. We, we probably should have been the ones to push on that a little more at the time. And we might've been surprised at how more receptive it would have been if it was controlled as to how that message was sent out instead of the kids just going to school and saying, Hey, my dad's gay. But that's the story of how it came about. Um, John, I'm going to say one thing too, just, yeah. just before we get too far away, I, I this whole issue of uh, loving and not loving my ex-wife. Um, and I think this is part of the other aspect of not just guilt, but long-term is if, if, if you have a relationship with someone and you've built a family, there is still love. It's just, if you now know a new reality that changes that, it, it, it's not sustainable. So I think that's the biggest conflict is that you can still love someone and know that you can't be with them as, you know, it, it sounds like a teeny bop song, but but I think there's a, a big element of that. And my, my sense is that people who go through that struggle, particularly gay men coming out, 
um, are trying to figure that out because there's aspects of that relationship which when I was young, it was a choice. This is what you choose. And you choose to have a life with family and it can be an awesome thing. But, you know, at the same time, you realize who, who you truly are. Those two things can be in such conflict that it, it can be painful either way. So yeah, I just wanted to point out that issue because I think there's always been this question of, well, you didn't love me because you never could have. And I, and I, and I know from my perspective that that's not true, um, but, but that can be a perception. Well, just because you're getting divorced doesn't mean you have to go to hate. That's I yeah. tell people that all the time. You're just not in love anymore, and there's a difference. You can love somebody and not be romantically with them anymore. There's, and people get, and particularly if you've got children with somebody, that's the the parent yeah. of your children that's over there. And um, and from their perspective, we will always be their parents, right? My ex and I rarely talk. It's been it was several years before we even had a conversation, in which we just did several months ago. But our kids still have to connect in the middle between where am I going for this holiday? How much am I spending at dad's? How much am I spending at mom's? So, you know, you know, we were still parents and that part, you know, has a connection through our children that is it's just more painful on them if we can't figure out how to make that work. But, but you know, that is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, a minute ago when you were talking about your kids going to school and telling everybody and their the band-aid getting ripped off. I mean, guilt and shame are really powerful when divorce is occurring with kids, um, particularly if they're not told by the person that committed the, we'll call it the offense. Mm -hmm. I mean, for you, it was, you know, you, you were coming out as the, as the person you were, you know, other situations it's, you know, somebody who cheated, someone who just had an affair, um, something like that. And what happens a lot of times is like a wife will tell the kids, oh, you know, your dad's leaving us because he's having an affair. In your case, it was, well, dad's, you know, left us because he's gay. And that really does a number on the kids because they're not hearing it from you. And that's why I'm always really big on men. If there's something that's going on, they need to sit their kids down and tell them. And I'm really, really hard on people not to tell the kids that, there, if it's their wife that's having an affair or something's going on with their wife, do not tell the kids about it. Just don't. You do so much more harm than good by telling the kids, particularly um, in the manner in which your wife did. Thank God it turned out okay. And your kids now, I think, you know, I've seen pictures. They were at your wedding. You, you know, you married, married a man and, you know, they were at your wedding. So they obviously are very okay with it now. But that's a long journey and you're lucky that it turned around because i've seen situations where that damage at a young age really doesn't turn around as easily yeah, extremely lucky to that and yeah they are well adjusted mid-20 boys going through all the stuff that every other mid-20 boy goes through but the relationship that they have with me that they have with their second father uh, my husband is awesome right i think he's another voice in the mix as these two grow up to become full-fledged adults and and they're they're almost there i mean th we all have our bits of work to do but but i think this is really what you are as a parent is you're really trying to get uh, you know you're trying to raise someone to become their own self-sustaining adult that has a sense of happiness and a sense of peace of mind and i think for me that coming out process made me so much a better parent i think once i was aware of who i was I would have been openly living a lie to myself. And that's a very difficult thing to parent through when, you know, you're not truthful to yourself, right? I think 
being honest with your kids is oftentimes the things they don't want to hear, but it's the things they have to hear. And that's really hard to accept if you haven't gone through your own kind of effort to, to show that, hey, I take ownership and this is what it means to be an adult. And it's, yeah, it's been awesome to see them grow. It didn't happen overnight, but boy, it is, it is, it has happened and it, it is great to see. That's wonderful to hear. How did you get to the point where they were okay? Did you give them space or did you actively try to talk to them about what you were going through? It's a good question. I think it was probably a bit of both. I, because if, if you think about it, I was going through my own, you know, I, I used to say that I had a frame of reference as to how I was looking at everything, right? You think about a spinning top on a single point. When I came to this realization that I was gay and that all these stories I'd been playing in my head about choice and this and no, you don't want that and you're not really attracted to that. All of those things were just kind of uh, a false point of reference for me. So then my point shifted again. So then I had to rethink, well, what is, what is it that, what does it really mean to be, you know, in love to, 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 so all of my kind of paradigms of thought have all been thrown out the window. So I know that happened for the kids and I don't know that I was all that great in those early years, giving them kind of thought direction and guidance. Cause I was going through my own stuff at the same time. Um, and that's not uncommon for older men who come out and realize who they are. Right. We, we all kind of regress to teenagers again. Um, but I think over time, I think it was just giving them some space, giving them a comfort zone, never talking badly about their mom. It, that was never to my benefit. Um, and, uh, you know, trying to include them in my life as many ways as I could in, in a positive light. Um, and that became easier as they became older. And then I have to say, my husband has just been amazing with them just because he, he again, has a different perspective on things. And he speaks to them and he has earned their respect. And um, I think they see that there's a real positive benefit in that. Yeah, I, that may not be, that's a long-winded answer to your question, but um, yeah, it's, the first years. it's a great story. And it's something you mean, you've said so many things that are just great. And one of them was never speak ill about the other parent. Just don't. And I think what you've seen is that your kids probably were able to reconcile their thoughts about you because you were taking the high road throughout the entire um, divorce process. A lot of times if you're just talking bad about the other parent, it doesn't go that way. And I'm kind of curious, did your ex-wife, did she talk bad about you to the kids after you separated? I think we both tried to put the kids first in that mix. So I think that that was always the goal. I think the the difficulty is when there can be so much anger, it's oftentimes hard when it pops up here or there in other ways. So yeah, I, I don't think either one of us did an amazing job at it, but I know it was certainly an attempt not to because it does put a lot of pressure back on the kids. So you are separated, you've separated this entire, you know, almost 10 years. What finally pushed you to end the marriage? A man that I fell in love with who said, you're married. <laughs> and I was, I was like, yeah. And he wasn't surprised by it, right? I don't think it was a, I'm not sure it was a first date question, but yeah. I was like, yeah, officially I am still married. So he was pretty good about saying, I think we need to put an end to that. So, 
And, you know, again, this is the future of where you want to be. I want to, to build my life and I have, and I'm happy to continue to do that with this awesome man. So that's the motivation to say, okay, it's time. Let's get this done. You know, that's, that's what most people do, um, particularly men. I, women are much more apt to just starting the divorce when they just want to be divorced. Most of the time, men, it's whenever they decide to end the marriage when they have, when their heart has moved on somewhere else. I, and I don't know if that's a little bit of, um, I'm not a psychologist, but there's definitely some, some psychological underpinnings there of just the way men handle relationships and marriage that are different from women, which is why divorce gets so emotional in the first place, because men and women come at divorce from such different places. Your wife was obviously upset the entire time. There's probably a lot of guilt and shame for her, you know, what the community was going to think, what other people were going to think. That's usually where all that anger comes from. Your kids might have been felt the same and probably realize that most of their friends just don't care that their father's gay, but you got divorced. What was your impression of the divorce process itself? It's a difficult thing. I think even the early part of the divorce, if you want to file for divorce, you have to show some element of cause, right? There's not divorce for convenience. That may be different now, wasn't then? So I had to come up with a reason, right? And I think that was the first divorce lawyer that I talked to. And she's like, well, what did she do? Did she hit you? Did she, you know, she mean, did she was physically, and I just remember thinking, wait a second, I'm coming out as being gay. This is a weird thing that I want to get divorced because I know I am no longer going to be in that same environment moving forward. And I don't want to live a secret life as a married man. So um, yeah, that part was odd. And then, I think there, you know, it is a system. It's a little bit like buying a wedding cake, right? If I buy a cake at the local Wegmans, it's $4. If I buy a, the same cake from a wedding shop, it's, you know, $56. Um, so there is a process about divorce that is very much hiring the attorney, identifying who they are, paying their retainer. It's, it's a expensive and complicated process. So um, that part I'm not, overly excited about. And it's not a reflection on you, John. I think you were very helpful going through that. I didn't get that same kind of, hey, what's the reason for this? So um, that process made it a lot easier. Um, yeah, I, I, that's my kind of initial reaction is it's, it's a bit of an institution in the state that I live in. And it's, it, it, it does take a fair amount of energy and focus. And, and to know that on the upfront and not to spend a lot of time quabbling over the things that you know ultimately aren't that important, but you somehow in your head think it's, I want it because she really likes it. Um, but I think if you can avoid those things, you're in a much better position to move forward to completion. Again, probably not the best guy to talk about that, but once the <laughs> process got started, it went really quickly. I, I will say that. That's the most important thing. Figuring yeah. out what's important to you, what your actual goals are, and not just looking to want everything or to want exactly the opposite of whatever your um, wife wants. Now, with the two of you, I think what, what happened, and this happens in a lot of divorces, is that she really allowed emotion to interfere with the process. And I do think that's what sort of 
made the process last longer is she was determined to extract, you know, a pound of flesh to make sure that I guess a way of looking at it is to punish you for what you put her through. And that's not, again, that's not terribly unique situation because a lot of people, the only reason divorce lasts a long time, I've said this on many podcasts, 95% of divorce is emotion, 5% is law. Mm-hmm. It, that's the truth. I mean, if we took emotion out, divorces could be settled very quickly. I mean, I mediate cases where people come in and they can actually talk to each other. They just have recognized they should not be married to each other anymore. Their entire divorce can be finished in two to three hours because the emotion isn't what's dictating what's going on. We're just doing a business transaction, which I hate that phrase, but that's what it is. So you got the taste of, you know, it's sort of quasi litigation, meaning you're in court doing court stuff. And then you ultimately resolve the case after you've spent ungodly amounts of money. You finally do settle the case at a place that both parties are equally pissed off at. And that's sort of where you end up. So you you went through the court system and you ended up going to mediation. At what point during you know going through this divorce, at what point or did you ever come to a point where you were like pocket, just whatever, whatever she wants. I'm done with this. I just need to move on with my life. I got this guy who wants to, you know, wants to have this relationship with me. I can't do this anymore. You know, my kids are just going to get more and more pissed off at me if I let this drag on. Did you ever come to a point where you're just like, fuck it, she can have whatever she wants? Or did you ever come to that point? Well, I don't think I ever got to that point. I mean, I don't, I never felt like I got to that point. I think you know, there's a couple of things in there. One was around mediation and mediation was difficult because there was so much emotion. So, you know, there would be things that would come up where it was a discussion point and, and my ex would break down and, and the, the mediator would be like, you need to talk to your therapist about that, right? So then that delayed any advanced discussion happening there. Um, so that that's why I don't think that it worked for us because there was so much emotion involved in that initially. It was very hard for, for it to get pulled out. Um, but I think once the divorce went through and, and I, I had already given up cause again, I've been out of the house for 10 years. I've given up on a lot of the things. Was it tied to things? And the kids now were of an age where they were, um, you know, going into college and we were just discussing how that part's going to work. Um, but they, they didn't need child support or, or limited amount at that time. So, um, yeah, I don't really remember getting to the point where I was so frustrated. It was like, no, just, you know, let's just get this done. Um, I, I do think there's always trade-offs. I do think, you know, things, I look at it, I did not win all that I would have liked. And I know she feels the same. So to your point, that's that's kind of where most divorces should end up. Because uh, you go into it as equal partners, you're going to come out of it. If one feels like they've got a one up on the other, then then they just played the game better for me. Uh, and I, I think, you know, it, it, we were also talking about lives and relationships and kids. And so to have that feel so dissatisfied on, on one side versus the other doesn't ultimately help out on that front either. Yeah, I mean, but I didn't ever feel like, no, just, you know, take it. I'm, I'm, I'm done with it. Yeah, I can back you up. You 
are the way you are right now is the way I always remember you, Carrie. Oh. Just very steady. Not a lot, a lot of more gray here than I did. Then. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I do. I distinctly recall the last mediator we went to, which of course you'll never forget her till the day you die. Just to this day, to this day, and she knows who she is. She reminds me just how attractive she thought you were. Let's let's leave oh, it. Well, there you go. To this day, <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah. So you went through a you went through the kind of process that I really try to help guys avoid going through. And you're right. Sometimes at the very beginning, the emotions cannot get out of the way long enough to actually have productive conversations to resolve things. And sometimes someone needs to go through the process a little bit. The problem is the process itself can help fan the flames of the emotions. And that's why most of the time, if both parties have not sort of worked through their stuff and have come to terms with the fact that divorce is happening, and they're just going to figure out a common sense way to sort of get through everything, you're going to have a difficult process. I mean, even your wife, even if she was mad at you, she spent a ton of money on the divorce too. And now I'm sure she looks back at it, or maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, but she should look back at it thinking, what for what? What, what did this get me? What did it really get me at the end of the day? But, you know, you're kind of in a situation where a lot of people find themselves and you know i would not have any any guilt about anything that happened because you went through the separation yes if you had it to do all over again back in 2005 you probably would have just gotten divorced but you know here we are and you did what was best for your kids you went through the divorce process and tried to be as fair as possible, knowing the realities. Of course, I don't remember everything that was going on then, but knowing the realities of your personal situation, your work situation and everything, you were trying to be fair, but not be, um, you know, not be screwed and not be, not have everything taken from you. So, you know, you, you entered this in the right place and that's saying a lot, Carrie, cause you were going through a lot, you know, your kids were, you know, still not, totally okay with you i mean i think they were starting to come around at the time of the divorce right but they were yeah. you know they were still they were still going through it you were you know really in love with somebody you know this first chapter of your life you were trying to close the chapter for a while and it just wouldn't close and now you were closing it considering all of that and considering just how raw anger there was on your wife's side i think you really had such a level head through the divorce process something that most people could not do. So I want to know if you can tell us, did you do anything, meditation, any kind of anything while you were going through the divorce that kept you level-headed? I want to say vodka, but I don't think that's a fair <laughs> No, I, I think, and it's interesting, right? Because I mentioned, you know, uh, the motivator for me was I it was in love with the man and I knew I wanted to marry him and we were heading in that direction. So this is one of those things that needed to get wrapped up. Um, and I also, I think, had become aware of the fact that it was just limbo for everybody, right? Just somehow needed to get done. So he could have been, you know, difficult in that process. Hey, why is she getting this and how is she getting that? And, I, and I'm not saying we didn't have our discussions because this is the other difficulty is now you've got two people you're dealing with, the, the life you're moving towards and the life you're moving away from. But I don't remember that being 
And oddly enough, it might have just been I was seeing a finish line, right? It had been so long I hadn't seen a finish line that I felt pretty motivated to do that. Uh, I will also say that at that stage, I was becoming much more comfortable with who I was, having gone through this, you know, 10 years of kind of dealing with my self-identity and and lots of ups and downs uh, on that. Um, yeah, I know, but I didn't, I did I wish I could tell you there's some magic secret other than clear, clear alcohol, but um, yeah, vodka is, is, is my choice, but too much of that's not a good thing either. You get foggy and then you're, you're not as focused and you start rolling back into emotion. Um, but yeah, I'm, no, no secret pill that I can think of. Well, you just have a really good mentality, I guess. Hopefully you'll never have to go through divorce again. But um, your husband that you're um, married to, is this the guy that you fell in love with during the divorce or did you meet Chris later? Nope. Um, the guy I fell in love with during the divorce, we, we tried it for a number of years, like five years, and then we separated for a good year and a half because we were just two, two different stages, right? It's, it's very hard going right into a relationship if you just identified yourself as gay. It, it, you, you, you haven't really seen enough of the world to figure out what you really like. So um, we broke up for a bit and got back together again. And I think ultimately we too would see a therapist that was part of our process, an awesome therapist. And he, he finally said, okay, you two should just not be together. <laughs> so we we're like, okay, that makes sense. Um, so we broke up and then I, I was about seven years into the mix uh, and six years into the mix. And, uh, and maybe a year and a half later is when Chris and I met. And so, um, we dated for the first couple of years and, and yeah. Um, so no, he's, he gets a, a more refined version of me than it would have been if it had been the same guy I dated when I was still, you know, seeing the world through a weird filter. Well, I will tell you that more often than not that first really intense relationship after someone's divorced rarely works um for a variety of reasons but you're just coming out of that divorce i mean you were separated for a while but still there's something about being divorced that really um really just is different it's a different feeling that you're now divorced your kids know you're divorced you know the whole world knows you're divorced and a lot of people immediately go out and they get into a relationship and it's dangerous. I mean, again, you were a little bit different because you were separated for so long, but I see this happen all the time where people are getting divorced on a Monday and then they're going on dates Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then what did they do? They didn't have any time to sit and work on themselves, any time just to be single and think about what do I need to do differently in my next relationship? Because even you, even though she was a woman and now you're with a man, I'm sure that there are certain things that happen in your marriage that have allowed you to grow, be a different person and have a better marriage this time around. Do you, can you think oh. of anything that, um, any, any lessons that you learned that are making you a better husband? Oh, I mean, I, I think there's this, and I don't know if it's an idiom or what it is, but the, the, in being in a relationship, and I'm not advocating to your point, I agree with you. I think you need to spend time on your own to identify a bit about who you are. But being too much time on your own, you also don't get to have your thoughts challenged, right? I 
I, you, you need that other person to call your bullshit when you say it, um, because that's the stuff that lets you grow. And the first guy I was with, he was awesome that way. He did not let me get away with a, a, a feeling or a thought that, or, or an act that wasn't somehow thought through. And for me, it forced me to kind of think, why did I do that? What was I thinking? Where is it coming from? So, um, so it's kind of interesting. I do think having another person helps you to grow in that regard, but it's ultimately each person's work to have that relationship. You, you can't be with somebody and expect them to solve your issues. Um, they can highlight them, but that's, that's your individual work to figure it out. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answers the question, but that's, that's kind of a bit of what I've learned from the relationship and, and, and I know I have lots of work to do. I'm, I'm still er early in my development to that end. Um, and Chris will probably agree with you. So, uh, <laughs> on that. well, you're yeah. really young, Carrie. So you've got, you've got a long ways to go. But I love I, the lighting. <laughs> <laughs> well, I gotta tell you, most people have a long way to go in their personal development. And, uh, what's that old, that's that adage. If you're not growing, you're dying. Yeah. And it's, it's true. Uh, m one thing that, is really interesting with a lot of men that are starting to go through divorce and it's it doesn't happen with women is that during the marriage men tend to lose friends along the way they tend to you know become more career oriented and then they lose sight of their why or their purpose in life what really give you know re what really lights a fire in their belly this isn't all men but this is a lot of men yeah. so by the time they get to a divorce there is a lot of fear because they're thinking I'm alone. I don't really even know what to do with myself. I don't really have anyone that I can talk to about what's happening. And it becomes very scary. Did you have any of those feelings either during the separation? I mean, at the divorce, you already were really in a, in a relationship with somebody. So well, let's right. go back to your separation. Did you have any of those feelings during the separation, any kind of fear going on yeah, in your oh. body? Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's a, my world was changing completely into something I didn't even know what it was going to look like. So yeah, there's huge amounts of fear, but you, I do think you always have to come back and say, am I doing the right thing? Am I being honest? Am I being, you know, more authentic to who I am? And I think if you can answer that question truthfully to yourself, not that you're just running to the next thing that's exciting, but that this is something that really is going to make you be more of who you are, whatever that is, whether it's you're gay or you find somebody new or you you bring your life in a direction that doesn't fit with your partners um that part was very helpful so that helps with the early fear um a good couple of close friends one of which um two close friends one who both straight guys but who i wanted to tell what was going on and i did that fairly early um you know, again, trying not to talk to too many people until the, the kids found out, but I talked to family and then I, I flew out to Chicago and met with my, my closest friend. And he took it pretty well initially, but then it became a wedge for us and it became a real issue of what that friendship truly was. Um, and it was tough for both of us. He was going through stuff and he needed me and I was going through stuff and I needed him and we just couldn't see the worlds together. He still doesn't understand the gay thing, right? But he's my brother and I have, we've learned to grow by being more honest with each other over time through things like that. And I think I, I'm lucky to have had, you know, 
three people to that end, I'd say, that are in my life that I call as true, true friends, right? Put my life on the line kind of friends um, that were, were there for support when, when I really felt like I needed them. Um, and, and I'm not going to discount family is there. It's just a little different with friends. Friends, you know, family, you kind of have to, they, they don't have to do anything, but they're, they oftentimes have your back, but friends are a little bit more around. And, and to your point, men just generally don't have a lot of close friends as you get older. Just you, you, you kind of keep the ones you had when you were young, if you're lucky to do that. And that's about it. Um, and we've learned to meet new people collectively. So we have a, a big gaggle of close uh, friends, acquaintances. Um, but, you know, I'd say those true few friends are the things that, that, that help. So, you know, if you're going through that process and you're full of fear, I, I, there's no harm in digging back to those older relationships and using it as an opportunity to rekindle, even if it's just to say, hey, to someone you haven't talked to since, you know, I don't know, ninth grade. I think that's great advice. I've talked to many guys who tell me like their best man in their wedding, they haven't talked to in 10 years, which is, which is amazing to me. Um, but that's, that, that's men for you. Men, men are like this and particularly talking about emotions and talking about their feelings about things. It's that if we go back to all of our childhoods, you know, men grow up, they're being told, you know, be a man, don't cry, don't be a baby, don't act like a girl. You know, like we're told all those things when we're younger. Right. And it that subconsciously screws around with you your entire life. And so I really think that's great that you've got some really close um, friends that you were able to reach out to and talk to about what you were going through. I think most guys that are listening are jealous of that because most of them don't have anybody. And um, that's really without, without the friendships, it's just going to make you feel even lonelier because we all know women don't have any trouble talking to their girlfriends about everything that's going on. And that's sort of a difference. Now you and you and your ex-wife, had to co-parent, but you were co-parenting older kids that were going to college. Yep. Talk to me about um, co-parenting your kids during the period of separation when they were a little bit younger. Um, what kind of parenting plan did you have? And did you guys have any um, difficulties making decisions for the kids? So we, through mediation, had a separation agreement that was, uh, I guess it was what would have been a typical uh, agreement, right? Pat, my ex, excuse me, was there with the kids, um, taking care of them every every day. So um, they stayed with her as the primary. It was, we were officially co, co-parent or co-parenting, um, but they spent the week with, with their mom, uh, every other weekend with me. And then I would see them during the week, uh, one night during the week. So it was a bit stressful. I was in New York, so I was a good two and a half hours. Uh, that's not fair. Probably a uh, hour and a half drive from them on a, on a good day. So even that one night a week, I was back and forth, right? I, I was in a situation to have a place that close to them and also where I was working. But that was a choice. Uh, that, that was stressful, but you know, you made it work. I was like, I'm going, right? I'm never going to miss that window. Um, and I didn't, right? It, we would go to dinner on Wednesdays because that was about all we could do. We didn't have a place for them to go to. So we would either go to a ball game or whatever else they had going on. And then we'd go to dinner together. And 
to this day, dinner is a special thing for us, right? It's, it, we always say it's guns down on the table. So you take your phone and put it on the table. And it was a chance to chat and talk and spend time over food. And uh, I think that's still a special time for us. Weekends were harder because they would have sports and activities. So you're driving around wherever and they would stay at hotels with me because I didn't have in the early stages a place to stay with them that was local. That was not fun. And then eventually I ended up getting a, a, a small apartment near the kids. So I had a place where we could, you know, make it home. So, so that's it from my standpoint. I, I will say that my ex did a really great job. Whenever there was a, a need to say, hey, I really would like to take the kids to this event on this weekend and it's not mine, would you mind switching? She was awesome. Um, you know, she really did put the kids first in that mix. And it was not a point of contention. Uh, she wasn't going to drop the kids off for sure, but um, but at least as flexible around dates, it was kids first. And I think I think if you can come to that understanding, if you have them in the early stages, it will make things easier when you're really trying to figure out, hey, I hate you for this or that. I'm not going to give you this and I get that. If you can put the kids at the top of that, then I think it at least um, helps them a bit through the process and maybe helps make some decisions happen more easily. But again, that's my thought. Kids first. I mean, that's the bottom line of divorce. If you've got kids, everything else should be a secondary concern. Your kids should be the most important thing. It should be well above money. It's something when I mediate cases, I tell people we're not even going to talk about money, not even how much money you make until we've resolved custody, parenting time, and all of those things. Yeah. Because people start to mix them. And uh, you guys obviously did a great job with your kids. They seem like very, um, very great young men who probably gonna have very great lives. And that's a testament to the work that you and your ex-wife did yeah. during this. Because you've probably heard stories of how really screwed up kids can get in the divorce process when their parents are fighting with each other and their kids are sort of in the middle with the bullets going, uh, that's yeah. a bad analogy. <laughs> They're in the middle with you know rocks being thrown sure. uh, at them. And so I just think that's absolutely wonderful. So that's one really good takeaway. You know, it doesn't matter why you're getting divorced. It doesn't matter how you feel about your spouse. If you put your kids first, your kids will likely be okay. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and it makes difficult decisions easier, right? Because, you know, it, I just does. It just does. If you agree to that, then it's like, Hey, this is, here's this opportunity for them. And I'd like to make that happen for them. Does can we make that work? And, and, and having a schedule, I mean, that was the other thing we had a very, it was fairly regimented, but it, it worked because if we knew there was a conflict, you could look out a couple of weeks and have the discussion well in advance. So it wasn't a last minute, Hey, no, I'm not going to be there today. I think that stuff can also be a real uh, difficulty. And no, she, she did a great job of balancing that. Um, I like to think I did too, considering it was a, you know, it was a bit of a trek the earlier, the earlier parts of that separation. Well, parenting schedule is so important thing. Uh, I've had more than one uh, couple sit in front of me in mediation say, oh, we don't need a schedule, but it's not for you. It's for the kids. Right. I mean, and then, and then it's also for you guys. Cause like you said, you can look forward on the schedule and see when the, um, when you have conflicts, but don't forget your kids also are benefiting from knowing where they're going to be and when. 
especially younger kids. I mean, your kids were young when you separated. I mean, eight, yeah. eight, yeah, you know, nine yeah. and ten. It's still really young. They, were, they were young. They were they were young for that process. Yeah, I, I will just to add another little pin on that, which is, I think almost in any arrangement, if you have a schedule or ultimately even a divorce agreement, it, the divorce agreement is probably more final, but things along the way you can yell at the paper, right? Well, I, you know, I thought it was supposed to be this Thanksgiving was mine. And you can say, well, that's not what it says on the paper. So now it's not that I'm wrong or she's wrong. It's that the paper's wrong. So the paper can be negotiated. We can redo a contract, but it's, it's not a perception over what might've been thought to have been said at some stage by one or the other. It's something we worked on to agree to, and we can edit and change that, but it, it diverts the anger away from you said this, or I said that to, well, this is what the contract says. Well, the contract's wrong. Fine. Then let's change the contract. It's just, it, it really makes, I, I, I strongly believe that from, from, for a lot, I'm in sales. So I, I believe that for a lot of discussions, it allows you to step away from an emotional reaction and kind of focus in on, well, what's the agreement and let's, if we need to change it, we change it. Um, yeah, I don't know. That's, that's back to your schedule and all of those things. I, I'm a big proponent of those. I love that quote. Be mad at the paper. Yeah. I'm going to, I am definitely going to freely steal that. That's a great, that's a, that's a great quote because it's true. You know, don't be mad at anyone other than just direct your anger at the paper. Maybe take the paper into the bathroom and yell at the paper if you need to get some <laughs> need to get some energy out. So you've given a lot of great suggestions for men in telling your story today. Just kind of want to wrap this entire story up by asking you if you were to give a piece of advice to your younger self, what would it be? And when would you have given it to yourself? Because there's a couple different places in your life you could have given yourself some advice. Yeah, it's true. Um, we didn't talk about this, but it was part of my issue. I, I did have a relationship with a guy when I was 19 and I thought I knew what love was and what it meant to be gay. So I had that advantage. Then I was like, I was told it was a choice and it's not something you should do. So I just rejected the whole life and what it might mean as opposed to the person and the fit. And so I look at that and think, you know, be a little broader on your perspective, right? Maybe you just didn't find the right person, but that's one story. The other is I have two awesome kids and I would not give up anything for that time that we had together early with my ex and when we were raising those kids, it was awesome. I don't feel any less about that time. Um, so that, that one I wouldn't change from a standpoint of, I, I wouldn't want that to be any different. I, I look back and like I said earlier in our discussion, it took me two years to say that I would have told her earlier in my struggles, what I was struggling with. And I think one thing is, don't be so hard on yourself, right? You didn't know who you were and you were struggling with it. So you weren't ready to have that conversation just yet. That's the one. But the other is, but when you are, you better have the conversation. And I think that's the piece where if we, if it had been an open dialogue with her early, as opposed to a text found on a phone that brought all this to the surface, um, we would have gone through the process much more easily. So that, you know, on this topic, that would be the the, the second um, 
Eh, that's probably the, those are the points I would make. They're great points. And you're absolutely right. You have these two incredible uh, boys that came out of your marriage. But going back to when you were 19, really didn't, uh, the advice is the universe is always trying to tell you something uh, each and every day. It's just up to all of us to listen to it and to actually do what our, what our bodies are telling us is best. And, you know, if you were 19 today, you would have had a very different life because oh. the world's different in 2021 than it was in 1990 something. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that's wonderful, Carrie. I do think a lot of people can relate to your story. I've told you this um, when we spoke a couple days ago. I have several guys that I am working with who have your same story in terms of coming out and sure. being coming to terms with their sexuality later in life because it was a different time. Yeah. And um, you know, and that's just that's just part of it. And most guys, they still are thankful like you are for their kids. And the fact that they have these biological yeah. kids that they had with this woman that they loved. And I think you really should make people want to look at divorce through a different lens, which is that just look at it as doing what's best for your kids and just try to stay steady. Because even though you didn't say this completely, I said it earlier, you were very steady during your divorce. There wasn't, there wasn't a lot of extreme, you know, extreme emotions, at least in in my presence or in the presence of the process. And that is very unusual. Most people, once they get deep into a divorce, their emotions get the best of them a lot of times. And there's a lot of- I, I mean, I can see how that can happen. And, and who knows, maybe I was just lucky to have had some good counsel at the time. And, uh, you know, maybe also- oh, Stop. Work through not holding on to the, you know, the this thing or the that thing that I felt like I really needed to own. Eh, it's not all that important. <laughs> well, Carrie, thank you so much for telling your story. Thanks for having me. It's always great to have um, guys that went through this process on just so that people can hear what life is like. And guess what? You're in a great marriage now. You're very happy. You've got a great life, great kids. It all turned out okay. Yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Well, thank you again for being here, Carrie. Thanks again, John. Thank you for listening. Please remember to subscribe to the show. We'll see you next time.